you have your Bibles, open over to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, and we're going to continue uh, a study. We've been, we kicked off a few weeks ago, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, looking forward to walking through this over the next little bit. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5, down to verse number 17. And uh, uh, I... Uh, Today, just talking about the Holy Bible. That's my title. It's nothing fancy, uh, but I'm not fancy. Uh, the Holy Bible. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, it seemed like every Bible you found, you had the Holy Bible written on the front. Uh, Holy Bible. And, uh, and now you're kind of hard-pressed to find a, a Bible that says Holy Bible, and it doesn't make it holy because it's written on it. But it is interesting just to see the Holy Bible, the sacred scriptures that this is holy, that this is God's Word. And, uh, and that's where Jesus is this morning, talking about God's Word. And uh, my, when I was growing up, my favorite sandwich, in fact, it still is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, I, it doesn't get better than a PB&J. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what makes a PB&J really special is if you have really soft white bread. Makes it incredible. Uh, as a child, I can remember, this is just my story, okay? As a child, I remember uh, I did not like the crust on a sandwich. It ruined the whole thing. And, uh, and so I had a mama that loved me so much that she'd make my PB&J and she would cut the crust off the outside edges and, uh, and, and so that I could get to the heart of the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I mean, that's just the way I grew up. And, uh, and in fact, I'm still that way today. But anyways, uh, I, I love it. Uh, this morning, just talking about God's word, all right? God gave his word. Here's, here, God gave his word to the Jews. And, and, and what happened over the years is the Jews added to and took away from the Word of God. Thereby, what they were doing is building a crust around the Word of God. And Jesus came, and, and, and in these few chapters of Scripture, He's talking, He's really hammering, and He's cutting away the crust that had been established and built around the Word of God. He said, hey, we need to get rid of these things, all of these traditions that you have established and embraced, the traditions of man and these rituals that I didn't give but that you in fact, implemented, he, he said, we've got to cut these things off so that people would have my word. And that's what he did. He brought great understanding to his word. The Bible, when you're talking about the Bible, the Bible has always been under assault. Still to this day, the word of God is under great assault. But ever since the beginning, if you go all the way back to the beginning, I'm talking about the beginning in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve were there in the garden, what happened in the garden was all of a sudden the devil came up and the devil came up to Eve and, and started questioning God's word started questioning about you surely surely you can you can't you you mean to tell me that you can't eat or, or touch anything and, and and she brought clarification and, and and then the devil said surely surely you won't die i mean god wouldn't do what he said he would do and questioning god's word i mean it's been going on ever since the beginning and it's still going on to this day. I'm grateful for our nation. I'm grateful for a country that established itself on biblical principles. In fact, our founding fathers understood and had an appreciation for God's Word, and I'm grateful to God for them. Rhode Island Charter, of all places, Rhode Island Charter, we submit ourselves, our lives, our estates unto the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to all those perfect and most absolute laws given in His holy Word. Why are you sharing that today? 
because I want to show you how far we have drifted as a nation. I want to show you where we are today. So, so let's go back, and this is even dating back to 1980. And in 1980, we had a court case that's infamous, Stone versus Graham. And it was as a result of that court case that the Ten Commandments have been removed from all of our public places, including classrooms. And they made this statement after Stone versus Graham in 1980. If posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it would be to meditate upon them and perhaps obey, and this is not permissible. How ridiculous. How ridiculous. But when you're talking about abandoning God, when God's abandoned, truth is abandoned. When the truth is abandoned, then what happens is the basis for law is abandoned. And so we no longer have absolute truth, but rather fluctuating truth. And if truth is fluctuating, then it's not truth at all. And that's the reason why we're in the mess that we're in today, because we don't look at God's word and God's principles as absolute and it's on His Word that we even built our legal system. And it's not just happening in the world around us. It's happening in the church <clears throat> when you're talking about... In fact, I've often said it's, 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 the world wouldn't be in the mess that it's in if the church weren't in the mess that it's in. And, and, and when we look at God's Word and, and our approach to God's Word, oftentimes what happens to us is there's this subtle assault. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful and you're following and you're part of, an, uh, of a church body or a church family, just because it has a name on the title, it doesn't mean that they understand and appreciate God's Word for what it is. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, there's a lot of folks that say, well, a Baptist is a Baptist is a Baptist, and I'm telling you, a Baptist is not always a Baptist. I shouldn't say that. I should say a Baptist is not always a Christian. You know, within our own organization, we have an organization, we have a splinter section called the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, the CBF. And the CBF uh, met, and in their meeting, this is what they said. <clears throat> Absolute truth claims. Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Are y'all with me? I mean, I'm talking about a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Most conservative on the whole planet. Absolute truth claims are a warning sign of a religion gone awry, said one presenter. Claims that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation border on infringements of religious liberty. Criticisms of Islam are particularly dangerous. When Christians claim their understanding of salvation is the absolute truth, they can cause great harm across the globe. They were talking about John MacArthur, and they said John MacArthur was on Larry King Live, and he claimed that Jesus Christ is the only way, and this is their response. When I heard John MacArthur on Larry King Live that night, I wish that someone on the panel had said to him, Dr. MacArthur has every right to say that Jesus is the only way to salvation and that all other religions in the world are false. He has that right. He has every right to speak about that out of his convictions they go on to say, but that is precisely why we need religious liberty because it is only half a step from saying that all other religions are false. Let me help you take a whole step over there. If you deny Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, then you are teaching a false religion. And in fact, the Apostle Paul would say, if anybody's adding to or taking away from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning there's only one way to be saved, then let that person be damned to hell. 
Y'all all right this morning? <laughs> Just talking about God's word. We need to be passionate about God's word because it is God's word. We've abandoned God's word as his holy book. Jesus addressed his position on God's word in these very verses of scripture. The Bible says in verse number 17, do not think, chapter 5, Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus Christ comes out and he gives us four principles when you're talking about God's word. Each verse lists one. And the first one would be this. In verse number 17, he says, listen, the Bible is unshakable. The Bible is unshakable. In other words, you can go up there and shake it all you want to, but nothing's going to fall out. Make sure you're not trying to shake it down and shake it out, but it's all true. And so the Bible is unshakable. He says, do not think. In other words, there's obviously this wrong idea that the people had embraced about the Messiah. There was a wrong idea about what, how, what they thought about the Messiah. Some thought that the Messiah was going to come and just completely abolish the Old Covenant, completely abolish the Old Testament. And he said, that's, that's not going to take place. There's, that, that's not going to happen. That's not what I came for. In fact, the Old Covenant speaks to Jesus Christ as well. I'm a fulfillment, not an abolishment of the Old Covenant, and so we're not doing away with it. He said, I'm not here to abolish, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And when you're talking about the law and the prophets, or the law or the prophets, it really, we would today, we would today say, well, that's our Old Testament in its entirety. That's our Old Testament in its entirety. We're talking about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. We're talking about the Ten Commandments that's included in those books when we're talking about the law and the prophets and the rest of the prophets. We're talking about Old Testament in its entirety. And so we have to be careful because there's a lot of folks out there that would say, well, yeah, but we're living under the days of grace, to which I would say absolutely we are, but the Old Testament is still relevant to us today. We need to understand and not separate ourselves far from the Old Testament because Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. He didn't abolish it, he fulfilled it. And so what does that mean exactly, to fulfill the Old Testament law or the prophets? Well, when you're talking about the law, you've got to understand what the law is because when you're talking the Old Testament law, in the Old Testament law, there's really three different sections of Old Testament law. One would be civil. In other words, God's people, the nation of Israel. God established the nation of Israel and gave to them the law of the land. And so there was a law given, a law of the land given to the nation of Israel. And as we know, the nation of Israel ultimately <clears throat> abandoned and turned her back on her Messiah. And in Matthew chapter 21 and in verse number 43, Matthew 21 verse 43, and he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever... <clears throat> that, that, am I reading the right verse there? 2143. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people, producing the fruit of it. Jesus was talking again to uh, the Jews. And he's saying, hey, listen, you've, you've abandoned me. 
And so, and so what we see in Scripture is, again, Jesus Christ on the cross fulfilling the Old Testament law. We're done. We're moving on. We're moving forward. There's the ceremonial law. When you're talking about Old Testament, Old Covenant, it, it, it had ceremonial law. What's the ceremonial law? That was the religious establishment, the religious establishment. So when you looked at the feasts and when you looked at the fast and when you looked at the sacrifices, Jesus Christ fulfilled those things. They were a foreshadowing, a pointing to the Messiah who would one day come and be the ultimate sacrifice. And so when Jesus did come and when he did lay down his life on the cross, we had an actual fulfillment of the ceremonial law. Matthew 27 and verse number 51. The Bible says in Matthew 27 and verse number 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. In other words, what happened when Jesus Christ laid down his life and gave up his spirit? The temple, the temple that separated man from the presence of God Almighty was torn by God himself displaying and letting us know that, hey, because of this sacrifice, all men are welcome to come to me through his blood, the ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews 10 talks about it in this way. Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14, the Bible says this, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, talking about Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. But then there's also, when you're talking about the Old Testament, there's the moral law. The moral law, those laws that govern our attitudes, our actions along the way. And so when we're talking moral law, obviously he fulfilled that perfectly. He who knew no sin became sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and in verse number 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what happened is Jesus Christ again fulfilled the law. And it's unshakable, but be careful that we don't separate ourselves and say it's irrelevant and no longer is good for anything because when you're talking about the Old Testament and when you're talking about the law, especially the moral law, he's simply saying this, hey, my word was given to you so that you might understand you do have faults, you do have struggles, you do have a need for a Savior. And what happened with the Pharisees and with the scribes and with Judaism as they looked at it and said, we need to establish a way of salvation. And they did, listen, the Jews, the Jews did the very thing that they were accusing Jesus Christ of doing. You're abandoning the law and the prophets. And the fact of the matter is, they abandoned the law and the prophets a long time before when they started adding to and taking away so that they might create a way to be saved. And God in His Word lets us know that, hey, listen, my righteousness is as filthy rags before my Heavenly Father. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to keep the moral law. But it's serving as a mirror for us so that we might see our need. But the problem is, is when we start adding our standards and we start taking away from God's Word, what we do is we muddy up the mirror so that we can't see ourselves clearly. God help us understand. 
his word. He says in verse 17, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And then he goes on in verse number 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And he's saying the Bible's unstoppable. The Bible is unstoppable. It's interesting when you see Jesus talking because he says, for truly I say to you, and that's how it's recorded. For truly I say to you. And, and, and when you're talking about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he always speaks truth. It's interesting, he says, for truly I say to you. And all he's doing is adding emphasis to what he's about to say. It's a figure of speech. In other words, we do it all the time. You ever heard somebody say, man, I'm serious as a heart attack. <laughs> or, 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 or sometimes this is what they'll say. You ever heard somebody say this? Man, I ain't going to lie. And then they tell you what they're going to tell you. And it's like, should I trust you any other time you talk? <laughs> I mean, that's not, that's not what they're saying. They're just trying to add emphasis to what they're saying. It says, for truly, truly, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. God's word is true and without error, and you can count on it. He says, he, he says this in verse number 18. Not the smallest letter, the yo, the little... In fact, when you're talking, he's, he's speaking about the Hebrew language here. And so in the Hebrew language, the yo, when he's talking about the smallest letter or stroke, he's talking about a little breath mark, a little apostrophe-looking mark is all he's talking about. And then, he, and, then, and then there's this clarification, the stroke. What's he talking about, the stroke? It's simply a little, uh, uh, a little penmanship that changes letters in the Hebrew language. If, if we're trying to explain what that even means in English, here's, what I, 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 here's my best explanation of what that means in the English language. Take a lowercase letter C. Take a lowercase letter C and a lowercase letter E. And there's only one little stroke right there to make the difference between the lettering, to change the words, to change the words. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, my Father's word is reliable. I'm not going to change it. And how dare the one who changes his word? His word is reliable. It's true. You can count on his word. It's ridiculous to suggest <clears throat> that we have the opportunity to make changes to his word. It's ridiculous to suggest that Jesus Christ, that God in his word is somehow confined uh, and restricted by different cultures. In fact, today what we have happening with God's Word is we're approaching God's Word not as God's Word, but rather to say, hey, listen, it doesn't apply to our culture today. It's culturally irrelevant. And the problem with that is that we're interpreting God's Word through the lens of culture, and that is absolutely 100% wrong. You don't ever, you don't ever ever interpret God's Word through the eyes of culture, but rather always interpret culture through God's Word. And whenever there's deviation, His Word is the cornerstone. And in fact, if you want to see a building shifted, look at the world today. Why is the world shifted? Because we want to be culturally correct rather than biblically correct. And I'm not talking about people in the rest of the world. I'm talking about people inside of the church. God's word, he says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. It's God's word. It's the plumb line. It's absolute. And he goes on in verse number 19, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom 
of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. When you're talking about God's word, God's word is unchangeable. It's unchangeable. What's happening is that there's this movement that we see happening in the church. It's, it's, it's called the antinomianism movement. And all that simply means is this, that we want to do away with the law. We want to, we want to, we want to say that it no longer pertains. And so we want to remove ourselves even from the moral law of God's word. Well, there's serious, serious problems with that. In fact, what happens is we move into what's called existential religion. What is existential religion? That's simply religion no longer based on God's absolute truth, but rather it's based upon my feelings. You ever look around the world? You ever see churches? And, and, and I'm not throwing a rock right now. I'm, I'm not throwing a rock at all. But you ever seen a church that goes out front and they, and they hang a gay pride flag in the front? They say, you know, how in the world, how in the world could they do that with God's word? Well, how they do that is it's, it's, it's not based upon God's word, but it's based upon feelings. And when, we, and when we do what we do and what we think is right, culturally speaking, <clears throat> then we've removed the authority of God's word. And we're teaching others to do the same. God, help us. Help us to be true to your word. It's not about what I think or what I feel. And here's where we really have to be careful when it comes to our approach and interpretation of God's Word. Do you know that when you're talking about God's Word, God's Word, there's only one true interpretation of God's Word? Do you realize that? There's only one, you know, and a lot of people, they'll approach God's Word and say, oh, there's a lot of interpretations. Absolutely there are, but there's only one true. There's a lot wrong. But there's only one true interpretation of God's word. God didn't write his word and say, man, however you want to take it. No, there's only one true interpretation of God's word. There's many applications. There's many applications. But there's only one true interpretation. And so when we're coming to feast on God's word, when we're coming to get together, we have to be careful because a lot of times you'll hear these statements made. You'll read a truth from God's word and, and it's like, yeah, this is what it says but I think, and it's like, well, if your, thought, <laughs> if your thought is different than what God's Word said, then hold that thought. Okay? I, well, well, I believe, I mean, I know what God's Word said, but I believe, well, if your belief is different than what God's Word said, then you, you ought to just check your beliefs. God help us <clears throat> not to change God's word. He says, whoever, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. James warns about teaching. He, he says in James chapter number 3 and verse number 1, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Influence influence. And, and, and listen, the warning that Jesus is giving here is not just for formal teachers. It's for believers in Jesus Christ that are teaching others by way of their actions. How many times do people justify what they do based on what you do? Well, he's a Christian. It must be all right. I mean, he's, he's Jesus with skin on. She's Jesus with skin on. It must be all right to do that, to say that. 
And how many times do we cause others to stumble along the way? Matthew chapter number 18 and in verse number 6. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 6. But whoever, but whoever. Let me back up. That is where I want to be, but let me back up. Verse 3, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives as such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus is just simply saying, be careful. Be careful how you're teaching. Be careful how you're preaching. Be careful what you're practicing because you're influencing other people along the way. <clears throat> you know, when you're talking about God's Word, oftentimes what we do and oftentimes what pastors are doing and what teachers oftentimes are doing is we just don't want to hurt feelings. And at the end of the day, it's not ever my desire to hurt anybody's feelings along the way. But honoring God is much more important than hurting feelings. And we've got to be true to God's Word. Understanding that we're living in a day when it's just not popular. In fact, if you're following the news, there are two members of Parliament over in Finland who were arrested simply, simply for reading from Scripture. But you've got to ask yourself the question, will I teach, thus saith the Lord, and embrace that and teach others to do the same? Or will I try to keep people comfortable? God help me. The Bible's powerful. Verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what's he talking about? He's, here's, here's what he's talking When you looked at the scribes and Pharisees from the outside, you would have looked at them and said, man, they have got it going on. I mean, they're going to church. They're quoting scripture. <laughs> they're doing a lot of great religious stuff. And he says, but it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. In fact, in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. In other words, what they were doing is they were struggling. They said, man, I, it's all about what we can attain. It's all about us <clears throat> attaining a righteousness before God. And Jesus is saying, hey, you cannot attain that righteousness on your own because you and I have a problem. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are born with a sinful nature, and our sinful nature separates us from a holy God. And it doesn't matter how many good things I do, I still can't change my sinful nature by myself. I am not righteous because of my works. Never has been, never will be. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, man, you guys have established something that I never intended to establish. In fact, his word over in the book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, the Bible says in chapter number 3 and in verse number 24, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. 
In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, make sure that you're just embracing God's word as it is written. Why? Because it's powerful. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way, right? The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. He's saying, hey, it's the dynamite. It's powerful. Powerful enough to change lives. It pierces through all of the layers of the crust and gets right down to the heart of the matter. And what we do, if we're not careful, and we say, man, I just need to soften. I need to, I need to take the edge off of Scripture what we're doing is we're dumbing it down and dulling the blade that God gave to us. Make sure we're preaching and teaching God's word because it's powerful. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to understand. We need to understand our need for a Savior. And that's exactly what God's word does for us. God didn't in His Word. God's, Word. God's Word was not written so that we would walk away and feel good about ourselves. But rather that we'd feel great about Him. That He can change me. That, that the fact of the matter is that the fact of the matter is I have sinned and you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that God Almighty still loves me unconditionally. That my foolishness did not change his love for me. That my weaknesses and my struggles did not change his love for me. But that he still loved me so much that while I was a sinner, he demonstrated his great love and that he laid down his life on a cross for me and for you. What a, what a Savior we have. What a wonderful Savior. I'm grateful to God for his wonderful word. Hey, this morning, I just want to throw this out there. And ask the question, has there ever been a time in your life when you've been born again? Because God does love you very much. He sent his one and only son into this world because we desperately need him. Without him, without him, we're lost. Without him, we're perishing. There is only one way to be saved, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. For without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus Christ came into this world, and he laid down his life for you and for me. And I'm not talking today about religious experience. I'm talking about a relationship with God Almighty through his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says there's only one way to be saved. Any other way, any other way, will fall short. And so today, if you've never called on his name, I'm inviting you to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do me a favor this morning and join me for a time of prayer? <clears throat> I don't know where you are this morning, but as your heads bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to ask you once again the question. Ever been a time when you've been saved? I'm not talking about how much Bible do you know because that's not where life is found. Oh, there's truth. There's truth. If there's never been a time when you'd call on the name of Jesus, I'm inviting you to call on his name today. Today, just talking about God's Word and how special it is, the Holy Bible. That God, that God 
would care so much for you and for me that he would give to us this word, his word. Brothers and sisters, I just want to ask this question. Is his word special to you? Father, thank you for the day. Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving us like you do. God, I thank you for giving to us absolute truth, God, upon which we can stand firmly because it's never shifting. God, we can count on you. Lord Jesus, I pray now that you'd search our hearts, that you would search our minds. Father, I pray for those that may be here that have never been saved. God, that today would be the day when they call on your name for salvation. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would understand and recognize that, God, your word is absolute truth. And God, help me. Help us always stand firm and speak your truth in love. God, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. Thank you now for the opportunity. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.